Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 5. I'm going to tell you now, if I wasn't going verse by verse through James, I'd skip this today. It's not fun preaching this. At the same time, it might be life-changing for some people. Because in our world today, that basically has, and I'm talking to you, but the world today has basically turned its back on God and chasing all the things that the world has to offer. And they don't realize what's coming. James, up until last Sunday when we looked at the last few verses of chapter 4, has been talking to new Jewish believers, brand new Christians, because they had left the Jewish faith and all its legalism to follow Christ, and they were going through some difficulty, and he's challenging them on what Christianity looks like and how you live that out. Then last week, he, he sort of changed gears a little bit, and he talked to the people who've, who've yet come to Christ. And he said, you need, you need to realize you can't presume on God. You don't know how long you have on this earth. And, and when you're making your plans, you make sure God's in that. And then there were people who were beginning to oppress Christians because the Christians, most of them were not very well off. Now, there were some who were financially well off, but probably not in this church. There might have been one or two, but the fact is, James then really turns and talks to the people who've yet to turn their life toward God because they're so wrapped up in wealth. Look what he says in verse 1. Come now. In other words, this is a phrase written in the, in the Greek New Testament. He's speaking to another group of people. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. You've lived on earth in pleasure and of luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. I heard a story of several guys that were in a locker room at a private exercise club. They were all talking when a cell phone laying on a bench began to ring, and a man picked it up and without hesitation answered it, hello, and here's the conversation that ensued. Honey, it's me. Oh, hi, dear. I'm at the mall two blocks from the club. I saw a beautiful mink coat. It's absolutely gorgeous. 
Can I buy it? It's only $1,500. Well, okay, if you like it that much. Thanks. Oh, and by the way, I stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the new models. I saw one I really liked. I spoke with a salesman. He gave me a great price. How much? Only 80000 Okay, but for that price, I want it with all the options. Great. But before we hang up, there's something else. It might seem like a lot, but well, I stopped by to see the real estate agent this morning, and I saw the house that we had looked at last year. Remember the beachfront property with the pool and the English garden? It's on sale. How much are they asking? $750,000. It's quite a bargain, and we have that much in the bank account to cover it. Well, okay, go ahead and buy it, but make an offer first of only $720,000, okay? Okay, sweetie, thanks. I'll see you later. I love you. I love you too. The man hung up the cell phone and held it up and said, does anybody know whose cell phone this is? I heard someone say, if I were to be robbed, the only thing they would get from me is experience. <laughs> Another comedian said, if money talks, all it ever says to me is goodbye. Right? <laughs> when I was in seminary, Laura and I got married a year after I was in the seminary in Fort Worth. I was serving in First Baptist Church of Alito, Texas, as the music leader and the youth pastor, both combination. And because we led the music every week, there were friends that we have made. And, and one of the friends that I made that used to sing with me was named Jack. I knew he and his wife. And, and of course, we were only there two or three years before, until I graduated. And then the Lord moved us to be the pastor of a church, a senior pastor. Came back several years later to Fort Worth area, and I wanted to see my friend Jack. So I looked him up or called him and met him at the, one of the restaurants to eat. And came by himself, and I said, he didn't look the same. I said, Jack, what's the matter? What's going on? He said, well, he mentioned his wife. They had divorced. And he said, I said, well, Jack, what are, you, are you serving anywhere? No, no, I'm... I'm working. He said, you know, I've decided, and I found out that the only way you're ever going to be happy in this life is if you make money. I said, Jack, I know that you know that's not true. No, that's true. You're not going to get along in this life unless you can make some money. So I'm spending my time trying to make money. I remember how heartbroken I was. I remember my first church at First Baptist Church of Strong, Arkansas, one of the older men one time. Of course, I'm still a younger man. I'm 25 years old. Come on. Come on. And uh, I know that was a long time ago. But I remember him telling me, he said, Preacher, a poor man is a weak man. That's why I spend so much time trying to make money. That seems to be the attitude of a lot of people today. We focus on the economy. We focus on material things. And, and, and let me just get something out here in the front. The Bible never says it's wrong to have things. 
The Bible does not condemn the rich. There are rich people in the Bible. Joseph of Arimathea, Solomon, David, Elijah, Philemon. I mean, there's a lot of people that had finances and had wealth that were Christians and followed God. So the issue is not how much money you have. The issue is what are you doing and what's your attitude about what you have? Or maybe if you don't have it, that's all you can think about is getting it. And so much so that you've taken God out of the equation. And so James gets very blunt. You see, there's four types of people in this world. There are those who have limited resources but are wealthy in their walk with God. There are some who have a lot of resources and they're wealthy in their walk with God. Then there are some who don't have either. They are poverty stricken and they have no relationship with God. And then there are those who are financially well off but have no relationship with God. So those are the four groups. And you fit into one of those groups. And unless you think that you're not wealthy, I've said this about a hundred times in the 31 years that I've been here, if you have enough food to eat at home, three meals, including peanut butter and crackers, or the cheese and crackers, if you have enough food to protect you from the elements, if you have any form of transportation, including a bicycle, if you have a job that pays you for what you do, and if you have a home to go sleep in at night and get out of the elements, you're the top 1% of the world. So I'm talking to rich people today. All of us are rich compared to the rest of the world. But where, is you, where are you in your relationship with gathering all of this stuff and your walk with the Lord? You see, money isn't the problem. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. First Timothy 6.10 tells us. And did you know what? God is not materially minded. Don't let these televangelists say, all God wants you to be is wealthy. That makes no sense. Do you think God cares about material things? Wait, didn't he speak the universe into existence? He put the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. Does he really need any material things? No, no. Just so you'll know. You don't give anything to God. He already thought it up. But James mentioned several things. First of all, he mentions the, I call it the malady, the malady of materialism. This is a ridiculous joke by Frank Pollard, who we should be a pastor. It's not his fault, but it's a ridiculous illustration. But this man had a BMW, and he's racing it around these mountain roads, and it goes too fast, and he runs it off a cliff. Before it runs off the cliff, he jumps out, but in the process, he severs his left arm. It's gone. Y'all don't know what sever means. It's gone. And he's standing there looking down in the valley, and his BMW is upside down in flames, and he's going, my car, my car, my car. Another man stops to help him. He said, sir, listen, are you, listen, I know your car down there, but you don't have an arm. You lost your left arm. He went, my watch, my watch, my watch. <laughs> well, that's sort of the idea that people have today about wealth. They're more concerned about their stuff 
than they are about their relationships. Several things that you can categorize in this malady of materialism. First of all is the short-sightedness of money. It makes us short-sighted. It makes you forget things. All of a sudden, all that's important to you is gathering material things, but it's a big mirage because once you get it, it really doesn't satisfy. But James, man, I, I don't know if you could holler when you're writing, but he almost does. <laughs> he says, you rich, weep. The word for weep here. Clio, which is the same word, means to sob out loud. It means to lament. It's the word used when the wailing that took place when someone died. Luke 7.13, Mark 5.38. It also depicted the reaction that sometimes came when people felt intense shame and guilt. They wept. Peter, for example, wept like that when he denied Jesus the third time. And, and sometimes it was used to talk about the sorrow that accompanies repentance back in chapter 4, verse 9. When James is talking about repentance, people weep. But he also, in this particular case, puts the word howl, H-O-W-L. Only place in the New Testament this word is used. And it goes beyond lamenting and refers to shrieking and screaming. It Taken together, it pictures intense outburst of despair and uncontrollable grief. And the word miseries talks about the hardships, afflictions, and wretchedness. It appears only here, the word miseries, and in Romans 3.16, which talks about the miseries that are coming. And what he's saying is, folks, these people who have had everything on this earth When they stand before the judgment seat of God without Jesus, you're going to hear them screaming and wailing and the miseries that are about to come. Jesus spoke about that in Luke 6, 24, when he said, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And he says, it's coming to you. All these people who seem to have everything life has to offer, and yet they're still miserable. <laughs> but they... Did you ever feel like the psalmist? When he, why do the bad guys win? Why do the people who never acknowledge you seem to have all the stuff? Why are that? And the reason is, but they, their day's coming. The day is coming. It causes short sightedness. Kathleen Norris said, "Consumerism is fed by a desire to forget our mortality." We are going to die one day, and we're not going to take any of this with us. It's not wrong to have some stuff while we're here on the earth, but, but to focus on that all the time, we, we get short-sighted. We forget. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but a man in New York City married, had a cat. 
Actually, his wife had a cat. And she loved that cat. I mean, it was really more than a cat to her. I mean, she petted that cat and, and combed it and did all that stuff, and the man couldn't stand it. He hated that cat. He was allergic to cat hair. He didn't like the smell of the litter box. He couldn't get sleep at night because the cat's always jumping on the bed up there with them all. And finally, he'd had enough. His wife was going on a trip. He baptized that cat permanently in the Hudson River. Put it in a sack full of rocks and sunk it. She came back. She's upset. Can't find her cat. He said, honey, I don't know. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put an ad in the paper. We'll offer a reward for that cat. Put an ad in the paper. $1,000 this cat's found. Of course, nobody showed up with the cat. About a week later, he said, honey, I know this cat meant to you, and you mean, meant a lot to you, and you mean so much to me. I tell you what, I'll take out another ad in the paper. I'll up the ante. We'll offer $25,000 for that cat put an ad in the paper. When his, one of his friends saw that ad, he said, are you out of your mind? He said, there's not a cat on earth worth $25,000. He said, I know, but when you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. <laughs> well, folks, I want to tell you something. You and I know what's coming. And the world needs to understand that the day's coming when all the wealth that you have and all the material things you have doesn't matter. Not when you stand before God. The Wall Street Journal of all places had this to say at one time in an article, money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider of everything except happiness. That's why so many people that have so many Material possessions aren't happy unless they know Jesus. And then they feel the responsibility to use it for him. Bill Hybels, in a, an article entitled, The Often Overlooked Benefits of Losing, said one man put it this way when he suddenly found himself in a hospital bed. I came to realize I no longer really care for what the world chases after, such as how much money I have in the bank, how many cars are parked in the garage. As it says in Ecclesiastes, chasing after these things is like chasing the wind anyway. And suddenly the rat race became vanity to me, utter vanity. I felt naked before God. If I died, I would take none of this stuff with me. All that really mattered ultimately was my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with family and friends. If it weren't for the loss of my health, I could have wasted the rest of my life chasing achievements and acquiring many more transitory things. I'd say his loss served him well. The Bible doesn't condemn riches. Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas, Abraham, Solomon, Isaac, Jonah, Elijah, Philemon, but it can make you short-sighted. Another thing you see is the selfishness of materialism. The sinful accumulation. You know, in ancient times, there were three ways or three types of wealth. One was food. And in verse 2, it says, your grain is spoiled. Actually, riches are corrupted. Your grain is spoiled. Food was a way of determining wealth in the ancient world. You remember the guy in Luke chapter 
12. I'm not positive on that one, but he's, he had a bumper crop. And he's going to build bigger barns and put his crops up. That was one way to show wealth. James says, y'all have got grain that's rotted. Clothing was another thing. Another way to accumulate wealth was clothing. And he says, moths are eating your clothes. And then he talked about gold and silver. He said, your gold and silver are corroded. They're rusted. Now, gold doesn't rust and neither the silver. But he's making the point is that the, all the gold you accumulate isn't really helping you. He's emphasizing the fact that gold is still temporal. Incidentally, you might find this interesting. I went on the website for the World Gold Council, and I wondered how much gold has been mined in the history of the world. And they estimate that from the beginning of whenever they started harvesting gold, and I know it's an estimate, but they, they estimate that 205,238 metric tons of gold have been mined throughout history, and two-thirds of that's been mined after 1950. Now, this, has a, this statistic is as of last January, the 2020. If you put all of that gold that's ever been mined in the world and you brought it together and made it into a cube, equal, equal width, depth, and height, it's just 75 feet long, 75 feet wide, 75 feet tall. Now, to put that in perspective, that's just longer than a tractor-trailer rig. It's just a little bit wider than the average ranch house, and it's just a little bit taller than a six-story building. All the gold that's ever been found and ever been mined, the value of it's nine and a third trillion dollars. Jesus said, you don't lay up treasures here on the earth. Matthew 6, 19. Some people just love money. It's been over 100 years since she died, a lady by the name of Hetty Green. At one time, she was the richest woman in America. She died at 81 years old in 1915. Now, I know that's over 100 years, so I'm pretty sure none of you were there even though some of you are suspect. Her estate was worth $100 million. But she spent, she was so miserly. She was so tight, so miserly, she would eat cold oatmeal because she didn't want to pay the expense of heating the water. Her son injured his leg and by the time that she could find a free clinic to get him treated, the infection was so advanced they had to amputate his leg. At one time, she had a fit of apoplexy that could have contributed to the stroke that she had when she was arguing that it was cheaper to buy skim milk than whole milk. At one time, her income, now this was back in the turn of the night of 1900s, she was making $5 a minute or $300 an hour, and yet she lived on a lower scale than the average scrub woman did. For example, she would pad her thin, worn-out clothes with newspapers 
so that she could go outside in the cold and it wouldn't be as cold for her. She owned two or three railroads, but never rode in the Pullman's berth where you could lay down. She would set up all night in the day coach because it was cheaper. She didn't want to have a permanent residence because she didn't want to pay the $30,000 in taxes. So she drifted from one cheap lodging house to another, dressed in rags so nobody would know. In fact, she looked so bad that some of the landlords would make her pay up front for the night before they would let her stay. And when she had a stroke... They wouldn't let the nurses wear their white uniforms with the white caps or hats because they didn't want Hetty to know that they were real nurses. So they, nurses put on their street clothes. It made it look like hired servants because they knew that she wouldn't like expensive trained nurses. Now you think, well, she was just out of her mind. Yeah, she was. That had to be some kind of mental problem. But if she had loved God instead of money, how different life would have been. And you may think, well, I'm not that that tight. But you could be like the woman who confided to her friend, I've broken up with my fiancé, the engagement's off. My feelings have changed toward him. And her friend said, well, did you give the ring back? She said, no, my feelings about the ring haven't changed at all. We hang on to material things, and it builds up. And, and, and James says, this is a witness against you. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. Not only that, he shows that they got it by dishonest gain. The, the next path of verse 4 says, the wages, you've cheated people. Now, I'm not going to read all the verses, but there were verses that in Leviticus 19.13 and Deuteronomy 24.14 that said, if a, if a laborer came to you and worked for you that day, you needed to pay them that day. You didn't keep it overnight. You gave it to them before the sun set. And the reason was because some of them were depending that day to eat. They didn't have the money. And yet the implication here is these people would hold on to it for a while. And in some cases, they completely defrauded them of the money. That's why Jeremiah pronounced a curse on those. Woe to him who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages. And he gives a sobering warning. He said, this cheating that you've done is crying out. This money's talking. It's crying out to the Lord of hosts is the word Sabaoth, the Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of the host that can, can get vengeance for that. It's crying out to them, and it's a frightening judgment awaits for those who have unjustly cheated people out of their wages just because they wanted to keep more money for themselves. And also, self-indulgence. In verse 5, you've lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. There's nothing wrong with living a nice life. There's nothing wrong with having some things. But the fact is, when you, when you just go overboard, in 2005, a Saudi Arabian sultan came to America, bought 19 Cadillacs. 
paid for each of them to be lengthened for each one of his wives. Bought two Porsches, six Mercedes, $40,000 speedboat and a truck to haul it, 16 refrigerators, $47,000 in women's luggage, two Florida grapefruit trees, 10 recliners, one slot machine. Cost him between one and a half to $2 million and he paid almost $200,000 to have it shipped. Who needs 16 refrigerators? Baptist? <laughs> <laughs> In Hiawatha, Kansas, now I've never been there, but I did look this up, and it is true. There was a man there who started out as a hired hand, and he moved up the ladder, and he amassed some wealth. His name was John Davis. He had a good relationship with his wife, but he had no other friends, and he didn't even like his wife's family because they thought she married below her dignity, and he vowed never to leave his family one thin dime. When his wife died, he had an elaborate statue made in her memory. And after it was finished, he liked it so well, he had another statue made of both him and her on the end of a bench, a love seat. Well, he liked that so well, he had another statue made of him kneeling at her grave, placing a wreath, and another statue of her with wings kneeling at his future grave, placing a wreath, and on and on and on. And you can go online and see this. There's a, 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 a fence around it and a covering over it and all these monuments and he died without a cent because he spent all his money on the monuments. When the town asked him, would you help us with the fundraising for the hospital or the swimming pool for the kids or the park, his response was, what's this town ever done for me? I don't owe this town nothing. 92, when he died, spent his entire fortune on monuments. They're still there. It's kind of become an out-of-the-way interest for people to go by and just see. It's not an official tourist attraction. Monuments. Ten people came to his funeral. Somebody said one of the men that was crying was the monument maker. Because <laughs> he spent all that money there. Think about it, folks. When you and I die... We're not going to care what's going on down here. We're not going to care where our name is or what a monument is. And yet people spend all their money on self-indulgence. Please understand, there's balance here. There's something, it's okay to prepare for the future, but there's another thing to just accumulate so much that could be so helpful in so many ways. And so what is the medicine for materialism? Let me give you two quick things. Because James gets pretty specific in the first part of verse 7, which we're going to look at next week, which talks about how we live waiting for the return of Jesus. It's going to be a lot more positive than today. I told you I'd have skipped this if I was just skipping around. But I'm committed to do all of it, no matter how difficult it is. But first of all, if you're poor, have patience. God's in control. God knows what you need. He knows where you are. 
Sometimes we want to take things in our own hands. In Jacksonville, Florida, five-year-old Tommy Stoll had gone Christmas shopping with his mom, and he was tired, and he thought he deserved a reward for being so good. He's five years old. He wanted a toy, and she said, no, Christmas is coming, and he sulked a while on the way home. Then he got out of his car seat, and he got down behind the driver's seat, cupped his hands over his mouth, his mom's name was Linda. He cupped his hands over his mouth and in the deepest voice that a five-year-old can make, Linda, this is God. You should buy Tommy whatever he wants. Sometimes we get impatient. We try to make things happen. I want to tell you, I want to remind you, God knows every situation you're in. Some of the situations I get in are my own fault. And he helps me work out of it. <laughs> but he doesn't deliver me immediately from it. The second thing is, if you're blessed, be generous. Be generous. Colonel Sanders, you know the fried chicken guy? He said, there's no reason to be the richest man in the cemetery. Pretty smart, really. You're not going to take any of it with you. Use it for God's glory. Obviously, you've got to be wise. You've got to plan ahead. You've got to think about what, how you're going to live. But, but really and truly... Some people don't need all that they have to live on. James White was a British financier. He was a reputed millionaire who owned a yacht. He had a racehorse. He entertained royalty. Some, at one time, he raised $3 million in a day. Now, this is back in the early 1900s. Again, a long time ago. But he, but he died by his own hand. And before he brought his life to a close, he wrote a letter, and the British press published it. Here's what he said. On the last day of my life, before my eyes, my brain unwinds the film of the past. In quick succession, episode after episode unwinds and I can now judge that life today is nothing but a cauldron of greed, lust, and power. Gone are the nice feelings and contentment, and in their place is a roaring, hectic existence. Without Jesus, that's how life is. No matter what you have on this earth, without Jesus, it's still empty. Why do you see all of these people that are famous and have all of this money? They just can't find any peace. So they keep trying to make themselves look like they're 25 all the rest of their life. They lose their looks. I know how that feels. Don't you? But you just wait till you see me in heaven one day. 
They lose, they, they have all of this. There's only so much stuff a person can buy. And they own it. They're still unhappy. So they have two or three wives or husbands. That doesn't make them happy. They take drugs. They're just looking for peace. But I'm here to tell you, the only place you're going to find that is in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's the only place. You can't buy it. He's already paid for it. God paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And so if you don't know him, you wind up empty. And the good news is you can come to him right now. Ask God to forgive you for your sin. You're a sinner. Yeah, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ask God to forgive you. You believe that Jesus lived a sinless life and that God put your sin as well as our sin on him when he died. He made the atonement. His blood was shed, covered our sin, and he rose again, conquering death. And when you place your faith and trust in him, not only will you be saved, but you'll have life more abundantly here on this earth. And that doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy. Abundantly means, I know what life's really about. I know who owns me. I know who I, I know that God knows my name. I know I have a relationship with God. I know where I'm going when I die. I, I know what life is about. I know it's going to get better one day. When Jesus comes, if you don't have that, You can have it right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those that need Jesus. Please show them the emptiness, the mirage of materialism. God, I pray that you'll show people that only you can fulfill the God-sized vacuum in our life. And I pray that people would come to you I lift up those that need a church. If this is the place you want them to be, I pray you'll bring them. For those that need to be baptized, that you give them courage to do so. Lord, for those of us who have been given a lot, help us to be generous and wise in what we do. So, Lord, I ask that you lead and guide in this time right now. You bring people to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 